Welcome back, friends. You are listening to Parenting for the Culture on the Black Love Podcast Network, and I am your host, Cherie Sims, mama to six beautiful heavens, ages 13, 11, 10, 7, and twin five-year-olds. I usually love to start an episode with the peak and pit of my day. It's just something that I do with my family as a way to connect with them and find out how their life is going. So I like to do it here with you all because I consider you my friends. The peak of my day today is that my oldest daughter, Christina, has a debt that she has to work off. And she had a choice to go on a field trip today or work towards paying off her debt. And she chose to work. And I was very proud of that. I felt like that was a very responsible and mature decision uh, that I was about to be like, are you sure you don't want to go on the field trip? But I didn't. I stepped back because I was proud of her for making that choice. And it made me feel like as a mom, I'm doing a good job teaching her responsibilities and all of that good stuff. So that was the peak of my day. The pit of my day, if y'all listen, you probably know exactly which child it is. <laughs> but one of my children just has such a strong instinct to yell. And it's like, maybe we can make it about 10, 15 minutes of waking up in the morning before they start to yell. And it's not, it's never even like yelling because they're No, they yell when they're angry. I won't say it's never because they yell when they're angry. It's just like that is just their method of communication. They just yell. They're just loud. And that like fight or flight instinct within them, it's just everything. The moment something drops, the moment someone takes something from them, it just is the biggest emergency in life. And they yell very loud. I am starting to feel like I'm running out of patience for that yelling. I'm like, okay, look, I gave you several years to get it together. I've had patience with you. I'm, you know, convinced that you're going to grow out of it. Uh, And when I think about that, I realize that the truth is that my expectation for this child was that by this time, they would have outgrown the need to yell so often. So it's not necessarily that my patience is running out. It's that my expectation has not been met. If you listen, you've heard about our pillar E for expectation. And so I'm realizing that I need to be aware of that expectation and that I probably just have to shift my expectations for this child. Uh, In past episodes, we have also talked about like slow to warm children or children who just develop at different rates, right? And this is a child that in the realm of yelling as an initial instinct, they are just developing differently (laughs) and at a different pace than the rest of my children. And so I kind of need to shift my expectations on that. But I'm actually sharing that pit today because it leads me into what I want to talk about today with you all on Parenting for the Culture, which is this question of like, how do you keep calm? How do you keep your patience with your children? One of the biggest compliments that I get most often is this idea. And I'll say it's an idea because I am human. And so People who see me online or in person or in the classroom, they're seeing me for periods of time. During those periods of time, it looks like I'm a very patient person. And I would agree that when I see some other adults with children, I think I definitely have more patience than most adults, but I am still human. So I don't always have the most patience in the world. And there are definitely times where I lose my patience also. Now, a lot of times when I think about meltdowns or tantrums or these big challenging behaviors, I literally look at my child or my children as like fire. 
And I have one daughter in particular. She is a very spicy, fiery child. And one conversation I find myself having with her often is trying to tell her, like, it's okay to be a fiery person. It's okay to be who you are. Like, instead of fiery, sometimes I use the word passionate with her, but I use both of them next to each other because I think language is important. So I want her to see herself as passionate and not as something bad. But when we do talk about fire, I often like will tell her fire can be a good thing. It can heat spaces. It can, you know, cook food. It can do all these good things. But when fire gets out of control, it starts to hurt people. And so as a as a parent of a fiery child, I find myself often having to be water, right? That thing that can maybe put out the fire, the thing that can calm the fire. Um, but there's a couple of things to think about with being the water is one, when water gets close to fire, what happens to the water? The water heats up. When you want to make tea and you want to heat up that water, you get it to a boiling point. But eventually, if the water gets too hot, it boils over or it boils to a steaming point and your teapot starts to yell. Now, how many of you have found yourself in that position where you first approach your child having these big emotions or having a meltdown or a tantrum and you approach it thinking, yeah, I'm about to be the water. And then slowly or sometimes quickly, your child is just so fiery (laughs) that you bubble up until you steam and now you find yourself yelling at your child. Here's the thing, like, it's not good, it's not bad, it's understandable. That's literally the way that these things work. Fire will boil water until it steams. But there is a point where it's a good thing, right? Like, you can find good within it. Like I said, we make tea out of fire and water. You make something yummy and healthy and good for your body. What you as a parent want to do is find where is that point? Where is the point where the water is boiling and you can sustain it and make something good out of it and make some tea out of it? And where is the point where you are about to steam and yell? And I recently heard somebody at my church quote this scripture. And y'all, I am not trying to bring you to Jesus. I'm using the scripture as a quote, if you will. If you uh, believe in Jesus and love the Bible, go ahead and take this as a scripture. If not, take it as a quote, because I think that it's helpful no matter who you are and what your background is. But the they shared to find joy in your tribulation. And that sounded crazy to me, joy in your tribulation. And then they went on to say that when you find joy in your tribulation, what it does is that it builds patience, which is the very thing so many of you are asking. How do you build patience? How do you keep patience? Some of it is through finding joy in the tribulation. That would be that point where you are making tea, not firing over and bubbling over, right? But I actually want to walk you through this using the pillars for peaceful parenting. So if you haven't listened to the pillars of peaceful parenting, finish this episode and then go back and listen to each of them in detail. But we're going to kind of go through them to see how we can apply these to these moments of when we are building patience, when we are about to lose patience, when we feel ourselves bubbling over and about to steam. How do we stay calm in the midst of our child's fiery moments? (laughs) So we're going to walk through the pillars, not necessarily in order, but I want to start with the pillars P and U for perception and understanding. I want you to understand and have the perception that in these moments, your child is having a hard time. They are not giving you a hard time. And in these moments, even when they're fiery and looking like they're losing it and they are losing it and all these things, like you are still a good parent. Your child having these moments are completely human and completely natural, and this is not an in, 
indication that you have done something wrong or that you are a bad parent. And I think that if you look at pillar A, awareness, you'll notice and become more aware that these moments become more trying for you because you think that these moments mean you have done something wrong or something is wrong with your child or they are bad or you are bad. And it causes you to steam a lot faster because now you're not just dealing with the moment, you're dealing with an identity, an identity for yourself and an identity for your child. So I want you to have understanding that these challenging moments are more than natural, more than human. And I want you to have the perception that you are a good parent and that you can continue to be the calm in the water in your in the midst of your child's fire. The second pillar I want to talk about is awareness, like, but particularly to be aware of your breath. A lot of times when we are met with challenging moments and big emotions, our heart rate rises and our breath shortens and quickens. I want you to be aware of your breath. So often we hear the importance and power of deep breathing and it sounds so simple and it sounds so repetitive that we don't actually consciously take a moment to breathe. I can guarantee you that every moment before I try to address a child, and at this point it's habitual for me, I don't necessarily consciously have to do it, but when I think about it, I know that I do it. I pause, I close my eyes, and I take a deep breath. The deep kind of breath where you can see my chest moving, you can see my belly moving. And what deep breathing does is it activates the parasympathetic nervous system, which is going to send a signal to your brain that lets you know you're safe. When you are watching someone who is having a meltdown, It is literally telling your brain, not the logical, rational part of you, but it is triggering and signaling to your body that there is an emergency, that safety is not around, that you need to address this with that same urgent like firefighter thing, right? Like we're talking about water, we're talking about fire. A lot of times we think we're water and we go in there as firefighters, ready to hose everything down, ready to take out whatever is in the way just to put out the fire, but it is not an emergency. So take those deep breaths to kind of calm that firefighter in you so you can be water. You don't, you're not the firefighter holding the water. You are the water and you want to address this with calm. And we do that first by deep breathing. One technique for deep breathing, and I think we've talked about it before, is making sure that you inhale through your nose four seconds, and then you exhale longer than four seconds. And it's that type of breath that's going to activate the brain to let you know that you are safe and you are okay. And another interesting fact with this, like if we are water, scientifically, we know that our bodies are majority water, right? Our brains are actually 95% water. Our lungs are 90% water. So when you are breathing in an effort to be water in these situations, you want to take those deep breaths into your brain and exhale. Take those moments so that you can get all of that majority water in you to relax, to stop from bubbling to a steaming point. Another thing you want to consider is pillar E, environment. I find myself a lot of times having to shift the environment and having to change the environment. If my child is having a hard moment and it was triggered by siblings or play, I usually have to remove my child from that situation and I have to move them away from whatever caused the moment to begin so that they can have the space to be able to meet their needs or talk about it or whatever it is. I'll give the example of my children were jumping on the trampoline the other day. 
they're playing some game, somebody's it, somebody didn't get to be it, and it was unfair, and it was supposed to be their turn, and so they started to lose it. But part of what they started to get really upset about was the fact that everybody else kept playing, and they're trying to tell everyone, it's my turn, it's my turn. And so they're quickly escalating into this, like, huge meltdown because they feel this urgency and emergency happening that nobody is listening to them, that the game is still going, and they're losing their moment to say what's happening. So when I removed them from the trampoline, they were still upset. Like, they still see the kids on the trampoline. They still see what's going on. They still see feel like they're losing their moment to say their words. So I actually had to walk them inside right? I have to remove them completely from the environment so that the thing that caused it is no longer a distraction. Same thing with one of my other daughters. She got into it again, the trampoline, you know, I'm starting to think I need to rethink this trampoline. But two siblings got into it on the trampoline and some arms, some swings were being had and some legs were flying. And so I had to get one of them off the trampoline and I took them inside and still they were like running towards their sister. They were like, I'm going to get him. This, this is that fiery child I was telling you about. She was determined to get her sister. So I eventually had to move her all the way into the bathroom and close the door. And I brought her to the bathroom because I had actually just run her bath. This is like, we're getting ready for bed. So I also know that these emotions are in part because she's too tired to manage these frustrations, right? So I'm thinking to myself, like, we got to move her to the bath environment. She needs some warm, cool water to relax herself and sit in there and calm down. And even when we're in the bathroom, she's like, I got to get out. You got to let me out of here. I got to get her. I got to get her back. And I was like, well, we're not doing that, (laughs) right? And this is part of my calm also. Like, I removed the ability for her to even try to attack her sister so that I don't have that part looming over me. So now it's just me and her. If it was a situation where I'm like actively having to pull them apart, my patience is going to be a lot less in that situation anyways. I don't want to have to hold on to her. I'm only going to have so much patience before I start to steam when I have to hold, physically hold the steaming, fiery child from hurting another child. So I had to move us into the bathroom where I could put her down. I could move myself away from her a little bit to calm myself down and take those deep breaths. And eventually I actually ended up having to sit in front of the door. And that's where like in the past, we've talked about boundaries. Boundaries are not, please don't hit your sister. Boundaries are, I will not let you hit your sister. And I'm going to sit here and make sure that you cannot hit your sister. And we're going to calm down together. And I leaned myself against the wall and I took those deep breaths. That allowed me to continue to speak to her calmly and continue continue to be the water while she is being fire in a way that the fire was not actually close enough to get me steaming. Now, the other pillar we want to talk about is pillar F, friendship. This fire who needs to be calmed down by water is not going to come to me if she doesn't trust me. When we talk about the pillar of friendship, we are not talking about be your child's homegirl, be your child's homeboy until so that they feel like they can say and do any and everything they want. It's about being a trusted, safe person. It's about when you are upset, who do you call? I pick up the phone and I call my friends. If I'm upset, who am I going out to lunch with to vent to? I am going to the person who gets me. I am going to the person who's going to validate me, who's going to make me feel better and help me laugh. So this is where we want to take a moment to like 
be our child's friend so that we can connect with them, which is pillar C, connecting with your child, right? And then going back to pillar U, understanding, in the moment of a meltdown, like, what is your goal? Is it to calm your child down in the moment and have safety? Is it that you want to teach your child respect? Because what I notice happens is that we get in these moments with our children and we lose our patience because we immediately move into they're being disrespectful, they're not being safe, they are being rude, they don't respect my authority. And so we aim for these goals of like, they're going to understand what respect is. They're going to know who the authority is. They're going to learn how to be kind. They're going to learn how to express themselves without yelling, hitting, scratching, whatever, right? I want you guys to take a moment to understand what your goal is. Sometimes the goal should just be safety. I'm going to teach her how to better handle her frustrations outside of this moment when she's calm. So going back to my child in the bathroom, she finally says to me, and I'll be honest, this took like a good seven minutes. We're in the bathroom seven minutes. This wasn't a quick go in the bathroom, change the environment, take a deep breath, and she's calmed down. No, it took her about seven minutes to even get to a point where she was like, fine, I'll get in the bath. I'm going to get in the bath with my clothes on. And my initial reaction was like, girl, you're crazy. (laughs) What do you mean you're going to get in the bath with your clothes on? But I recognized in that moment, like, here's a child who's having a hard time. Here's a child who developmentally is looking for a level of independence, autonomy, control. She has no control of the situation because she's been removed from it. She can't address it the way that she wants to address it. So that's less control for her. And she's trying to find any way, form, shape where she can gain back some control. So I was like, okay. Again, I had to understand what's my goal. My goal is just to get her to calm down and get in the bath right now. So if she wants to get in the bath with her clothes on, go ahead. Like she is literally not hurting me, which is one of my goals. She is not hurting any of her siblings, which is another goal. She is not hurting herself. Goal met. She is not destroying any property in our house. Goal met. She is no longer yelling. Goal met. She is in the bathtub getting washed up and ready for bed. Goal, 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 right? Also consider the fact that when your child is having a meltdown or a tantrum or these really big feelings, there is very little, very little that is rational or logical about this. Remember that your children are still growing and developing and their brains are growing and developing. And that rational, logical part of their brain is not fully formed until they are 25 years old. So in these moments, there are so many times where we are trying to throw ration and logic at our child. And our child cannot receive it because there's nothing rational or logical about it. And I'm sharing this because a lot of times I will watch parents trying to put out the fire and they're trying to put out the fire with ration and logic because that ration and logic is just going up into the air and going into the wind because that is not actually what your child is needing or looking for. So when you find yourself in these moments desperately trying to flood your child with ration and with logic, like that is a moment that you can just take a breath. Because you need all of your energy to manage this huge, fiery energy of your child. And you literally cannot afford to waste your energy in places where it is not going to do anything. 
So if you find yourself trying to explain to your child how this is fair, why this is okay, how this is good, even if all of those things are true, most likely in these big challenging moments when your child is having these huge emotions, you are literally just wasting your energy. That's something like I think a lot of us forget is that we have time. You don't have to meet all these goals and have all these conversations in one of the most challenging moments that you're facing. You can save your energy. You can save that conversation to have these conversations and to introduce this ration and this logic to your child outside of the moment. With this child in the bathtub with her clothes on, we can have the logical conversation when she gets out of the bath, (laughs) when she's in her bed, while I'm rubbing her back. Do you know how much more she's going to receive that and understand the logical part of the situation when she is calm, when she is connected, when she is ready and willing to listen to the things I have to say? And I'm one, like, I believe in the senses too, right? So stimulating or destimulating the different senses. So I am quick to put some lavender oil in that bathtub. It helps both her and me just by provoking that sense of smell and stimulating, like activating the brain and happy memories and dopamine and all of that. After she got out of the bath, we were able to have the logical conversation. And that leads me to this last pillar of L, listening. So often we do try so much to just talk, 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 and give them all the words and give them all all the information that we want them to have and all of the ration and all of the logic, but they're not able to listen and we are not listening. Now, of the two of us, myself and my child, it should be expected that I'm going to be the better listener in the situation, right? My child is still learning how to listen. So I always start by listening. And the magical thing about listening to my child first is it often opens my awareness up to situations that I did not know exist. And I'll give you an example of something that happened yesterday in my school. So I'm working the front desk. There's a child who is starting to have a meltdown. And it was believed to be that they were having a meltdown because they could not have their device. And so when this child was brought to me for support, they're like, oh, he's mad because he couldn't get his device and now he's throwing a tantrum, right? That's not, those are not the words. I'm not quoting them. I'm sharing the sentiment. And so I start talking to this child and before I start talking to them, I just let them cry, right? They're not ready to listen to me. They're not ready to talk to me. They just need to get out their emotions. And a lot of times we're very quick to try to stop people from crying and feeling their emotions. These emotions, these tears, these things happening in their body, they are literally inside of their body and they are going to stand in the way of any type of perseverance or prosperity. So we do have to let them and give them space to let these emotions out safely so that they can persevere through this moment, right? And again, this goes to expectations. If my expectation in this moment was like, oh, I'm going to calm him down right now, I'm going to boil faster. I'm going to get frustrated faster. So I'm just going to sit back. I'm going to take a few breaths. I'm going to give him space to have his feelings safely. And when he's ready, I'm going to listen to what he has to say. And when I listened, I heard him say, no, I'm not mad that I can't have my device. I'm mad because I was bored. And I know that when I get bored, 
And again, I'm paraphrasing, but he did tell me this and he was very articulate when he said it. I was very impressed. He said, I know that when I get bored, I tend to do things that get me in trouble. And so I'm trying to avoid getting in trouble. And so I was trying to get my device to occupy myself so that I would not get bored and I would not get in trouble. So it had nothing to do with the device. It actually had to do with the fact that this child is like trying to solve his own problems on his own. And now he's getting in trouble. And the very thing he was afraid of is happening. He was afraid he was going to get in trouble. So he tried to do something to stop him from getting in trouble. And then he got in trouble for trying to not get in trouble. Can you imagine how frustrating that would be for a kid? And they don't even have the skills to like stop their emotions to be able to communicate what was happening in that moment. So listening allowed me a different avenue. Now I'm not approaching a child who's mad because he couldn't get his tablet. I'm approaching a child who was feeling out of control and unheard and sad because he was trying to be good. My point is that when you listen to your child, you find out information that you may not have otherwise known. And now you're able to actually address the situation that's in front of you and that's happening. And more than that, your child feels heard. They feel validated. They feel understood. And you as a parent, you are now not coming into this situation blindsided, just trying to put out the fire however you can. Because you've listened, you have a deeper understanding as to where the problem is. Last analogy I'm going to use. Some of y'all probably hate the amount of analogies I use. Some of you love it. But we have this water leak in our kitchen. I have no idea where it's coming from. And it drives me crazy. And the best I can do is throw a towel down on top of the water so no one slips and gets hurt. But if I knew where that leak was coming from, I could actually stop the leak and save my towels and save my time and nobody would be jamming their toes against the walls because they slipped in the water. So my point is when we take the time to find out like where the leak is coming from, we are empowered to do more. We are saving our energy. We are able to be more calm because now it's not even just a matter of like, I don't know what's happening and I got to worry and be anxious and frustrated. Oh no, now I know the problem. I can solve it with certainty, with confidence, with calmness. So those are the ways that I find myself keeping calm in the midst of turmoil is by going through these pillars for peaceful parenting and practicing these things. And then lastly, I take care of myself outside of these moments. I have to take time outside of my family on my own to refill my water cup so that I have enough so that I don't hit steaming as soon so that I feel full and have more water and calmness and stillness to offer my children and my family. As you know, I love to give homework every week. So your homework for this week is going to be to discover yourself a little more and to find out what self-care techniques work for you to fill your cup. Maybe it's a paint and sip night. Maybe it's a night out with friends. Maybe it's a night in with quiet. Maybe it's a walk at the park. I don't know. But again, I've said this in previous episodes, I encourage you to find several self-care tools so that you can always access self-care. And then head over to the Parenting for the Culture podcast club. It's a free club on Google Classroom. It's a place where you can connect with other parents, share your fiery moments, your steaming moments, whatever it is that you want so that you don't feel alone in this and so that you don't feel like I'm a bad parent. But join us over there. You can find the link right here in the show notes. 
in the link in my bio on Instagram at Sheree Sims. And if you have any questions, like this episode was prompted by several people asking me the same question of how do you stay calm? If you have questions, please send them in to us. You can fill out the Google form right here in the show notes, or you can email us at podcasts with an S at blacklove.com, or you can DM me at Sheree Sims on Instagram. Either way, stay connected, friends, and come back next week for more Parenting for the Culture. Peace, everybody.